This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdini. Chapter 45, Indulgences. As we have seen, a sound covenantal theology is basic to true confession. The forms of confession can be observed without meaning. From the medieval era, if not from the earliest days of the church, however, confession was made, it had essentially these elements. First, the sinner had to be repentant. There had to be contrition, sorrow for sin, and a desire to make amends. Then, second, the sin had to be confessed. This, as we have seen, has taken different forms. To the congregation, to the offended person or persons, to the priest or to the pastor, depending on the era and the church laws. Third, the sinner had to make some form of amends, satisfaction or restitution in order to be forgiven. This requirement was early tied to being allowed to receive communion. This had and has the best of reasons. The church cannot treat communion as a right to which any man, any unrepentant sinner who has not made restitution, can have access. At this point, a difference sets in which, from one perspective, is a hair's width, and from another, an unbridgeable canyon. The church acts as the agency for the confessional. The confession, however, is to God through Christ. If, in the mind of the sinner, or in the thinking of the church, the church and its functions take priority over God and his law word, then the church compounds the sin and becomes the greater sinner. When, for example, the church compounds the evil by insisting on forgiveness and reconciliation where no restitution has been made, then the church's sin is much greater before God. The church radically changed societies for the better by insisting on restitution rather than vengeance. We have no historian, to my knowledge, who has studied the social revolution wrought by this insistence. It was a major battle against paganism and it made civilization and a godly law order possible. The basic premise of God's law is to substitute God's law word, his vengeance against sin, for man's vengeance. As God's law is bypassed, human devices take over and justice wanes. When pil pilgrimages were imposed in the medieval era for restitution as the penance for sin, the results were a boon to the economy of the pilgrimage cities, but no moral advancement for society. Chaucer's Canterbury Tales gives us a telling account of how superficial these trips were to most pilgrims. This is not to deny that some pilgrims were truly contrite, but the pilgrimage could not replace restitution to God and to man. Pilgrimages became good business, big business. 
they were, in a sense, precursors to the foreign travel plans of many a current tra travel agency. More than a few fundamentalists and evangelical churches sponsor trips to the Holy Land and returning travellers are ecstatic on what a blessing the trip was. The godly went and returned godly pe people. The sanctimonious sinners were no different, despite their gush. The trips are minor, semi-historical guided tours. Erasmus, near the Reformation era, denounced pilgrimage as tourist excursions. The pilgrimages became less than holy, and a statute of Richard II in England, 1388, decreed that all persons claiming to be pilgrims who could not produce a letter of passage were to be arrested unless infirm. Pardoners were created by the medieval church to sell pardons, a fundraising device which rapidly fell into disrepute. The Council of Trent abolished the office. Long before then, pardoners, more than any other churchmen, perhaps, were held in disrepute. In the Canterbury Tales, circa 1380s or 1390s, when it is the pardoners' turn to tell a story, the other pilgrims at once tell the host, No, don't let him tell us any ribaldry. Tell us some moral things so that we can be instructed, and then we shall be glad to listen. The pardoner, an able preacher, gives them a good tale, but at the finish he adds, quote, But, sirs, I forgot one word in my tale. I have relics and pardons in my bag, as fine as any man's in England, which were given to me by the Pope's own hand. If any of you wish, out of piety, to make an offering and to receive my absolution, come up at once, kneel down here, and humbly receive my pardon. Or else you can accept pardon as you travel, fresh and new at the end of every mile, just so you make another offering each time of nobles and pennies which are good and genuine. It is an honour to everyone here that you have available a pardoner with sufficient power to absolve you as you ride through the country in case of accidents which might happen. Perhaps one or two of you will fall off your horses and break your necks. See what security it is to all of you that I happen to be in your group and can absolve you, both high and low, when the soul passes from the body. I suggest that our host here shall be first, for he is most enveloped in sin. Come on, sir host, make the first offering right now, and you can kiss each one of the relics. Yes, for just a groat, unbuckle your purse at once. End quote. The host's answer is a very profane one. Pardoners were not held in respect long before Erasmus. A pardoner, and many were, fakes, could make more money in one day than a parson could in a month or more. Pardoners would disrupt church services and drown out the mass with their loud preaching in churchyards. Such indulgences were profitable to Rome and were therefore tolerated. There is a very important aspect to indulgences, in that what the church did, the kings soon imitated. In the place of God's law, the king's law began to prevail, and the sentence would be a long imprisonment unless the convicted person paid a heavy fine or ransom. Royal and presidential pardons have as their origin this precedent, now accepted as a privilege of being a high officer of state in the United States, a governor or a president. There is no reason to believe that the medieval payments to the crown for the release of an offender have disappeared. Some current pardons and paroles are different, are difficult to relate to justice. Kings assessed the ability of the offender to pay, and they assessed him accordingly. In McCall's words, quote, 
Far more important in their eyes was the profit to be made out of granting pardons, so that, on the whole, in the later Middle Ages, the buying of a pardon became a straightforward financial transaction, and, once again, therefore, an important means of evading the full ferocity of the law was generally available to all but the impecunious, the friendless and those people who, whether as a group or individually, excited the particular enmity of either of the king himself or of his judicial representatives. End quote. Many Protestants are very prone to cite the indulgences, the indulgences corruption that Luther confronted, but they are too obtuse to see our modern courts and legal system as an heir to the medieval indulgences system. Once men depart from God's law, they must create some kind of system to supplant it. Any substitute for God's law is evil. Thus, in considering the meaning of biblical confession and restitution, we must also face up to what its alternatives have been and are. They are all around us, in church and state, and they are varying forms of sins, whether practised by men, churches or states. There would be a hue and cry today if any church attempted to sell indulgences. Why is there no like hue and cry when the same premise of indulgences is practised by the state in a far worse form? Prisons are schools of crime and sodomy. Fines enrich the state. They do not make restitution to the offended person. Pardons often have reference to political pressure, not to justice. Protests against the death penalty for capital offences are protests against God's justice. Anyone who condemns the medieval system of indulgences without at the same time condemning our statist and humanistic legal system is a hypocrite. The whole system of indulgences, whether by church or by state, denies that crimes and sins are essentially against God and his law. Luther's work is only half done and the abolition of indulgences by the Council of Trent did not abolish its use by the state. Chaucer's pilgrims ridiculed the pardoner and held him in contempt, as does modern man and the state. The pilgrims, however, had no answer to what they knew to be an evil because they did not know the law word of God. The modern citizen is more evil than the pardoners of old. He tolerates and supports an evil system of state indulgences as though it were justice. God's vengeance will not fail to exact his price. This is the end of chapter 45. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.